Welcome to Bench Boost, presented by Ivy Ignite, Inorganic Ventures Virtual ICP Academy. I'm your host, Mike Booth, Technical Director here at Inorganic Ventures. At Ivy, we're passionate about all things ICP, sample prep, and analytical science. And we're here to share our passion and expertise with you. Each week, we'll bring you the latest insights, tips, and tricks from the brilliant minds of our laboratory team. Get ready to experience chemistry in a new light. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Bench Boost. Today, I'm joined by our two production managers, Thomas Kozakowski and Joseph Burns, and Ashley Jones, our technical support chemist. We'd like to kick things off with a deep dive into one of our most popular resources, our ICP Operations Guide. This is the first podcast covering our ICP Operations Guide written by our founder, Dr. Paul Gaines. Make sure to tune in each week for more insights from this guide. Today, our team will be discussing the first chapter on elemental and matrix compatibility, if you would like to follow along with us, you can view the ICP Operations Guide on our website, www.inorganicventures.com. All right, let's go ahead and kick things off. Let's start with talking about what elements are stable in nitric acid. So, Thomas, do you want to lead us off on this one? Oh, sure, yeah. We've got a lot of elements that are happy in nitric acid. If you look at our periodic tables online, you'll see that pretty much everything's happy with it. The only ones that aren't, you know, mercury has some problems. Osmium doesn't like it, and um, gold. And typically, you don't see the precious metals in nitric by themselves. You usually see those with HCl. So everything else, pretty happy. That's why nitric acid is one of those default acids that we quote most often if something specific's not requested, right? Because most analytes are going to be happy in nitric. Most things are going to play nice together. You mentioned osmium, though. That's one that we definitely try to avoid nitric acid as much as possible because that, that can get a little scary. Well, it also gets very sticky. Mm. Uh, whenever we do trace metals analysis, um, we usually run stuff at 100 ppm on our mass specs, and we turn that mass off, but um, it takes a month to wash out. Jeez. I know you mentioned ICP mass spec. I think nitric acid is the default acid for ICP mass spec users because they want to avoid those chloride con- interferences from HCl, right? Yeah, Definitely, if you don't have your collision cell, you got to worry about selenium and arsenic. So you get lots of issues with 75 and 77. And general exposure to the HCl fumes can be problematic for instrumentation as well. Mm-hmm. So you guys mentioned, you know, stabilizing, you know, certain elements like the precious metals with HCl. What about stabilizing elements with HF? Well, sure. There's plenty of those. Hopefully your lab can use HF. We get that a lot. Titanium hafnium, zirconium, tungsten, all those really require HF if you want them to be in your ICP solutions. If you don't have the fluoride, it's going to it's gonna precipitate. Yeah, and that's a good point you brought up about if your lab can have HF. I know you need to make sure your instrument's prepped for that as well, right? Yeah, we don't run HF. If you do trace levels, you can run the HF on the glass systems, but you just can't check for boron and silicon. But it does work. Awesome. Ashley, do you want to chime in with any safety concerns about HF? I know that's an issue we get questions about a lot. Yeah, that's definitely one of those things that we run into when we're trying to quote or trying to build solutions, especially if we're wanting to use nitric acid matrices. Typically, nitric is going to come with some HF because we do have some elements I think we'll talk about later. We can avoid HF if we're using a different acid, but it, it gets really hard when you're trying to matrix match in nitric acid, but you have things like tin, titanium, tungsten. Those safety concerns are usually the biggest hurdle for a lot of our customers. HF can be pretty scary. I mean, I think we say here usually as long as you're using pretty common lab safety practices, it's not going to be as big of a concern. But then, as you guys mentioned, you're definitely going to get into some 
intro system issues if you're not prepared to handle HF before you get there. So, And Joe, you oversaw the manufacturing group for a while. We have some interesting safety precaution stuff by our sinks just in case someone does get HF on them, right? So we keep a mixture of petroleum jelly and calcium gluconate because the HF will attack the calcium gluconate before it attacks your bones. And basically we stabilize it in the petroleum jelly because it gives a nice medium that you can just spread on easily, quickly. Not going to lie. I kind of like the way it smells. It's very <laughs> relaxing to me, but you know. You got that baby powder gun, don't you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to bring everybody back down after their terror. <laughs> <laughs> it is relaxing. Calming. Yeah. No jelly bones. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about covers nitric and HF, unless you guys think we missed anything. Yeah, we missed some of the halogens. Yeah. Um, so uh, some people do look at iodide and bromide. We do see issues when you add those to nitric. It actually turns red because you're converting that to a different form, and then it gets really sticky with plastic, so you got to store that in glass if you have to be acidic. But yeah, don't put that in nitric. Perfect. I think ammonia works pretty well. Yeah. Low, low levels, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about uh, HCL matrices. Ashley, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah. So with our HCL alternatives for HF, that's one way that we can get around using hydrofluoric acid for stabilization. HCL can kind of hop in there and do the same sort of thing, but then you also run into some elements that are not going to be happy in nitric. So you're going to have to make sure that you keep those in HCL. And usually you're going to want to keep those in higher HCL than we would nitric acid, for instance. So I think our default nitric is 5% volume to volume. Our default hydrochloric is 10%. That's going to be like platinum group elements, particularly osmium again, because we talked about osmium gets really tricky in nitric. But we do have elements like tin, for example, that if it's in a nitric environment, it's going to need hydrofluoric acid. But if we can switch over to a hydrochloric matrix, then we can avoid that kind of stabilization. So those are options, but just not quite as widely accepted as as nitric acid tends to be i think yeah that's a good point i know there's a you know there's so much that is happy in hcl especially 10 percent hcl we used to run a calibration curve method for probably what like a decade thomas that was in 10 percent hcl yeah that was probably a decade we run everything in hcl also has cesium in it for ionization buffer and it's pretty corrosive let's just say the inside of our arcos is gross <laughs> yeah and the folks at Spectra are surprised it's still running. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is something to keep in mind that with the HCL matrices at that high concentration, you might see some corrosion occur throughout your laboratory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it HCL is going to corrode aluminum no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the more interesting things about HCL, and I think a lot it surprises a lot of people, is we're able to stabilize silver in HCL. Joe, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. We've seen what looks to be about whatever your volume to volume percentage of HCl is, you can get about that same per- or ppm of silver into solution. So in say 100% volume to volume, which obviously you can't add silver to that, but you get be able to get about 100 ppm of silver. In 10% HCl, you can get about 10 ppm silver and 50% volume to volume, you can get about 50 ppm silver. Yeah, silver is definitely going to require that excess of acid to keep it stable and in a hydrochloric environment. And then it's also going to be light sensitive no matter how much acid you give it. So 
that's a difficulty there. If you don't store it in complete darkness over time, you're going to start to see it precipitate out. And it's a pain. It makes it really difficult because, you know, you could have a pretty normal level of silver in your solution, like 20 ppm. But like Joey was saying, it's the acid's going to be proportional. So you're going to have to have a lot of hydrochloric relative to what you could do in, say, nitric. And then, you know, you get those instrument issues and corrosion and all that good stuff. We keep that away from light too, don't we? Mm. Yeah. Having that photo, when it turns photosensitive like that, you might have to take precautions. I know Thomas and QC, are they still taping up the vials whenever they have those samples? No, because we changed our method up. We're not using that 10% HCl anymore. Anytime we have silver involved, we default to 5% nitric. And then we do, every once in a while, we do have those preps where it's like, oh, there's mercury in here. We need the HCl. We will tape those up. Yeah. But it's much rarer now. Awesome. Yeah, that's just something to be aware of. If you're doing silver and HCl, make sure you're protecting everything from light, not just the bottle, but even your prep while it's waiting to be run on your instrument. All right, let's go ahead and talk about, is anything just stable in water? Thomas, do you want to kick off on that one? Yeah, there's several actually. All those group ones and those group twos are decent as well. Very trace nitric will work for those. Mm -hmm. But lithium, sodium, potassium, rubidium, and cesium, they're quite happy at in water to be honest just a nitrate salt so very soluble yeah a lot of like water testing uses that maybe instead of icp maybe they run it on iron chromatography mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then obviously your regular acids like phosphoric sulfuric sometimes we use msa for sulfur those are just happy in water yep yeah speaking of sulfuric let's talk about sulfuric matrices this one actually kind of surprised me that it, it works as well as it does for so many elements Anyone want to jump in on that one? Yeah, sometimes you have to be a little bit weary of acids like sulfuric because I think they can be pretty pretty difficult to work with from a safety standpoint. They can be a little bit scarier than you know our nitric, but there are a lot of analytes on your regular analysis are going to be happy in sulfuric. And, you know, if you're comfortable using it and <laughs> you're happy with your instrument there, then you shouldn't have much issue trying to use a sulfuric matrix. Another thing to consider is if you have a sulfuric matrix and you require HF for stabilization, some of your other, uh, the sulfuric acid will actually steal the hydrofluoric away that from the ligands that would have stabilized the elements, mm-hmm. further increasing your HF concentration. So that's an even that's another safety consideration to take into account. Yeah, whenever we quote stuff, we have to take that into account. So sometimes you see blends that have three percent plus. Might be because we've got things like aluminum, sulfur from sulfuric. Those actually steal the HF. So we we add a bunch just to make that happy so that the HF element doesn't destabilize. Yeah. Um, I feel like usually when that happens, it's like antimony is the first one to fall out because of these other elements that just steal away the HF. Mm -hmm. Yeah, antimony is definitely very touchy. And that's another one that we have HF alternative for. We could use tartaric acid stabilization, but then you get into a lot more restriction sort of because we don't put that in anything more than like 2% nitric acid. And even then with our best efforts, it is just very touchy. And sometimes it doesn't want to play nice with us. Yeah. That tartaric acid will also eat up mercury. It actually reduces it and you actually get a bead of mercury in the bottom of your bottle. It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is something there. It's something to be aware of. If you have carbon sources around your mercury, yeah, you're probably going to end up reducing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. R- reduce it to the metallic form. The last one that I think Paul sort of mentioned in this chapter was 
phosphoric acid matrices. And he kind of noted that, you know, this isn't really used very often. Have you guys seen anything in a phosphoric acid matrix come through? I've seen them, but not very often. I think most people don't want to have to deal with it because of the issues with glass and we get into that same, you know, intro system issue. But yeah, it's it's definitely not common. I think a lot of people are also analyzing for things like phosphorus. So phosphoric acid matrices don't help. <laughs> I've seen what looks what looks to be like fertilizing manufacturing companies uh, will use it because of the phosphate-based fertilizers. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me today. We hope that you found this conversation helpful. If you have any questions, please contact us at ivyignite at inorganicventures.com. Ignite membership provides you with unlimited access to video courses, downloadable resources, community forums, and so much more. Join us next week as we cover chapter two of the ICP operation guide titled Quality Issues. Our team will discuss topics like accuracy, purity, traceability, and more. We'll hope you join us then, and I hope you have a fantastic week.